A guy who's down on his luck, seven wishes, a deal with the devil, all of them can only mean one thing. We're comparing Bedazzled on this episode of Retro vs. Remake. My name is Reggie Parker. And I'm Dan Bulick, and welcome to another episode of Retro, Retro vs. Remake. Remake. Okay, so on this episode of Retro vs. Remake, we are discussing Bedazzled. So let's get right into it. The original Bedazzled was made in 1967. It's starring Peter Cook, Dudley Moore, Eleanor Braun, and Raquel Welsh. Directed by Stanley Donnan. Not too familiar with anything he's done. But the screenplays by Peter Cook, our actor who plays the devil, and the music is by Dudley Moore, our protagonist. And then Bedazzled in 2000, starring Brendan Fraser, Liz Hurley, Francis O'Connor, Orlando Jones, Paul Adelstein, and Tommy Huss. Directed by Harold Ramis. Screenplay. Even though it's a remake, we have three screenwriters here. Larry Galbert, Harold Ramis, and Peter Tolan. And music by David Newman. Let's get into it. What are your experiences with these films? I have more experience with the remake. Obviously, I think we're all alive during that era where, for some reason, Brendan Fraser was one of the hottest Hollywood actors out there. He he acted with mummies. He acted with Looney Tunes at points. And um, I remember in this movie because he acted with a hot chick. So, <laughs> yeah, I remember being a Brendan Fraser fan. And I was looking forward to revisiting the source material. Um, the original, no prior experience this is the first time watching it yeah i'm in the same boat too i seen the remake uh i didn't see it in theaters i definitely brought or i rented it from blockbuster and i wasn't a brendan fraser fan i was more in it for the liz hurley thing right because <laughs> i just remember the commercial she had like all these outfits on and it's like oh she looks pretty good in that and you know she's kind of still riding that austin powers wave it's like, okay, Liz Hurley, let's see what she's doing. A little comedy there. Got Brendan Fraser, Harold Ramis, great uh, director there. So Absolutely. what can they do wrong? I had never seen the original until uh, doing it for this podcast. Yeah, you're right. Liz Hurley, that, whew, that was uh, that was a time. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, these movies are actually pretty similar. I expected them to be a little bit more different, but they have a lot of similarities. So let's get into those differences. But before that... Let's go over a synopsis. Now, this is one of those movies where all the characters have different names, so I had to use kind of general pronouns. So, bear with me. Here we go. We start with our protagonist. He's a bit of a loser and no good with the ladies. He's in love with a woman that he works with, but he can't even talk to her. He would give anything to be with her. Enter the devil. The devil is charming, friendly, and sympathetic towards the protagonist's plight. The protagonist then signs a contract for seven wishes. The price? Their soul. The protagonist dives right into the wishes. They always seem to be good at first, but there's always a loophole that prevents him from actually getting the girl. Wishes vary from being rich to highly intelligent and even famous, but none of them pan out right. And it turns out the protagonist only gets six wishes as a wish was used earlier before signing the contract for the devil to prove who they were. After many wishes and not getting the girl, our protagonist seems doomed. But for bizarre reasons slash loopholes in each movie, the protagonist is allowed to keep their soul. 
After the deal with the devil is over, the protagonist decides to finally approach this female co-worker and ask her out. She ultimately says no. And then both movies end their own respective way. Alright, so that's just a very broad synopsis. It's a pretty simple story. Guy makes a deal with the devil, gets a bunch of wishes, nothing turns out right, and somehow he gets to keep his soul. It's, it's a pretty simple story. So let's. where do you want to start with these differences? Maybe the cast? Yeah, let's start with the cast. You know, the original film has obviously a, a British flair to it. Two great actors, honestly, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. I'm more familiar with Dudley Moore's work than uh, Peter Moore. Peter Cook. <laughs> well, there you go. Case in point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know Peter Cook from too much. I looked up his uh, his filmography. The only movie I recognized him, he was the priest in uh, Princess Bride. That's the only thing I really recognized him in. I'm not too familiar with anything else he's done. Dudley Moore, you know, we see we see in quite a bit of his films. Uh, at some point, we'll probably do another one of his movies. Uh, Arthur. Arthur, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what I was thinking, too. Yeah. I was a huge Dudley Moore fan when I was a kid because I used to watch the Santa Claus movie nice. all the fucking time. Like every <laughs> night I watched that movie and he was the yeah. Patches, the number one elf. So yeah, Dudley Moore, I guess, has a special place in my heart because I used to watch that Santa Claus movie all the time. And I know we, we got into it a little bit, but uh, Brendan Fraser, who in my opinion is the king of acting when there's nothing else around. Like he, <laughs> He's done so much CGI work. In his career, he must have talked to so many tennis balls <laughs> next to a green screen. Um, and then Liz Hurley, who, I mean, just, she was four-time and honestly, to this day, possibly still, uh, one of the hottest act- actresses gracing the screen. So, you know, there was a time where she was, without a doubt, the number one actress when it came to uh, came to looks. And this movie gives her a chance to show off her actual acting chops. Yeah, like, yeah, she gets to have fun here, you know, show off more of her comedic side and stuff. So it's pretty enjoyable. Like I said, I don't really know too much of her work other than Austin Powers. So, um, yeah. man, but loved Liz Hurley back in the day. Yeah, you know, the movies introduced, you know, obviously you have Peter Cook and Liz Hurley playing the devil characters. You've got Dudley Moore and Brendan Fraser playing your kind of like hapless losers. Um, yeah, so Dudley Moore's character, his name is Stanley, and then Brendan Fraser's character's name Elliot. Now the devil is—you can call it the devil—but in the original, his, he also has a name. His name is George. George Spiggy. Yeah, and the remake, we don't have a name for Liz Hurley. It's just Devil, right? Right. The original film, in my opinion, leans a little bit heavier into the religious themes. Uh, we actually open the movie with. Dudley Moore actually at church, he's in a pew and there's a voiceover of him basically asking God for a favor. You know, he's like, God, I believe in you, but I really want to get to know Margaret, who's his love interest in that film. And you see the movie starts out already with like a comedic effect, like uh, Peter Cook kind of like just peeking through a stained glass window. And, you know, we're getting this is our intro to the two characters in an actual religious setting so the allusion to we're going to play religion a little bit is right there in the opening scene in that way whereas in the the new film as opening credits roll there's different labels and tags that are put on people as you're sort of traveling the world there's like lines about you know souls saved and souls lost and that's how they decide to intro that there's i don't know like this devil or like this religious sequence it almost seems like somebody's watching over everybody and kind of 
pointing out their sins. That's that's kind of the vibe I got from the remake's opening, which is just like a description at everybody's little sin or fault. Right. Know. Somebody's watching. It's, it's what the vibe I got. Yeah, it, it's a different way to approach the concept that there's going to be sort of like religious um, overtones in the film itself. Um, personally, I, I'm i fine with either one. Like, I'm not really leaning towards either one when it comes to intro and the characters because they both do the job of here's here's your character. Here's kind of like what a general theme of this movie is going to be. And like any film, the intro lays out sort of your expectations for the rest of the film. So it's just two separate ways of introing these characters and letting us know as a viewer that there's going to be this sort of, like you said, someone watching you, this overarching theme of like uh, higher powers. So yeah, starting with the protagonist, Stanley is a short order cook. He makes burgers and he works with a woman named Margaret Spencer. Stanley, we see a lot more voiceover for him. Like he's pining over Margaret and we can hear that character's inner monologue. You know, when he gets an opportunity to talk to her, he doesn't do it. Uh, The movie starts a little bit darker because at that point, our Stanley character attempts to kill himself. (laughs) So, you know, he again with the British humor, he's looking up um, a book on how to tie a noose. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's able to tie the noose successfully. Unfortunately, it's on a pipe that's not quite uh, structurally sound. So (laughs) it just falls apart and he's pretty more pathetic than he was before he was going to kill himself. And, and that's that's the theme of of this Stanley. He's well, both excuse me, both main characters. But uh, right right there in that sequence, you see just how pathetic he is. And he says it. He's like, I'm not even able to kill myself. <laughs> you know, like I, <laughs> you know, he's clearly just not a confident person. And at that point, the devil just kind of walks right in. Like he's attempting to kill himself. The devil makes himself uh, comfortable in his house, and we get introduced to uh, George Spigot. The devil himself, Lucifer. You say, I mean, he plays it pretty straight. I mean, he comes in, and it's not unbelievable that he would be the devil. He's got a cloak and <laughs> things of that nature. It's an odd intro, but there, there's some devilish features to him. He plays it pretty normal. He's just like a normal guy. He doesn't have any like big proclamation. He doesn't come out like bombastic, like with his voice, like oh, "I am the devil." He just talks like a normal British dude. Um, there's nothing spectacular about him except the fact that he does have, uh, the cape. <laughs> yeah, he just seems like, I guess he doesn't seem evil. He d- he does seem kind of like wanting to help Stanley out. And I guess that's a different take of the devil at the time in the 60s. Yeah, he, he doesn't do anything overtly evil at, at this point in the interaction. He comes in and he's... Peter Cook's take on the devil is is very cheeky, is the way way to put it. You know, there <laughs> there's the ceiling is now leaking because Stanley's attempted to kill himself, and he's helping Stanley like find socks and like a cork. Um, he does this this thing where he tells Stanley, "Hey, uh, this interaction is about a million pounds. Let me tell you about your family, and you know, you could be inheriting a million dollars." A million, excuse me, dollars, pounds. <laughs> and he goes off in this, like, sort of long diatribe about, like, Stanley's family history. And it all kind of ends with this joke, excuse me, 
this joke essentially saying that, oh no, your like grandfather like wasted all your money. You're a penniless loser, essentially. So like, there's those types of jokes that this devil makes. Like he seemingly on your side, and then there's the twist, and we get introduced to that concept right there in one of the opening sequences. Where it's like, oh yeah, let me tell you about the million dollars that you um, that you're going to inherit. It's already been spent. Like that's the type of joke that this devil likes to make. Whereas Elliot in the other film, Brendan Fraser's character, he's a computer guy. I don't know. He, what is what is what is his job exactly? I think I think that's kind of like sales. Yeah, I think he's he's more like a customer service rep. Oh you yeah, know, yeah, that's right. For like Sindine Company, it's just like a generic um, corporate office. You know, we get the idea that he's a loser because he opens the door for one person and everybody just walks through the door. He's he's literally labeled as a doormat in that opening sequence, and it's very obvious from his interactions with other um, coworkers that this guy is just he's socially awkward. He's kind of he got Asperger's or something because he just can't pick up on these social cues that they don't want him around. But he's right. really just. Putting himself right in there. It's kind of a kind of a jerk. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, you know. And I think that's that's a nice juxtaposition there where he's, you know, seemingly means well, but because he can't pick up on social clues, it does turn him into a, a bit of a jerk. Like, you know. Um I don't think that the character starts likable in any sense of the word. Which, you know, I guess playing that off of the original film. When you have a character who, you know, basically just has a bad day at work and is like trying to kill himself, you know, we're actually starting from a place where I think in both films where you may be more likely to actually like the devil character more than your your protagonist, just based on the actions that they're taking. Getting back to the movie, Stanley is socially awkward and he basically works his way into a an office outing with other people at his job where he continues to be extremely awkward for for me it's kind of hard to say who i like more you know because um i tend to like dudley more the dudley more character is you know he's like a loser but it's kind of like self-contained which is to me for me a little more palatable mm-hmm. whereas like brendan phrase is just so over the top like he's interrupting people's conversations he's like inserting him into situations where people don't want him a lot of the things that make him a loser seem to be kind of like more of his own fault. Like whether it's he can't pick up on social cues, whatever that may be, he's from the jump a little bit less likable because he's doing all these cringy things throughout the film. Whereas um, Dudley Moore's character is, you know, he he can't talk to this woman, but he like tries to kill himself. It's like such an extreme um, thing. And for me, like Dudley Moore's character is a little bit more likable he's going to such an extreme measure in a way that like it's almost overkill at least it's like kind of like just affecting him whereas like elliot richards is he's a loser but he's a jerk at the same time yeah i get that no i i think i agree with you i think i like stanley's character um pre-wishes i think i like dudley more stanley like you said they're both losers but brendan Fraser's more of like this awkward kind of almost jerk to these coworkers uh, that really don't deserve any 
you know, any of the negativity that they get towards the end of the movie. But, um, yeah, like you said, it's his own fault. He just can't pick up on these social cues, and he just keeps digging himself deeper, and it's just like, stop, stop, Brendan Fraser, stop doing that. While Stanley, he's not really being annoying to people. He's just, he doesn't have any, like, confidence or anything to talk to women or just to do anything he wants. His interactions with the devil I really like because he's, he's really naive and he's so easy to manipulate right. for the devil. And he's just like, why don't you just uh, rest in my bed? Oh, yeah, thanks. She's so nice. And, you know, it's just that <laughs> British politeness. So, yeah, there's a charm to Dudley Moore's Stanley. And then Brendan Fraser's Elliot's just a little bit of a jerk. But having said that, when they do the wishes, mm-hmm. I like a lot what Brendan Fraser does with his characters and the wishes a lot more than what Dudley Moore did when Stanley became the wishes. Like, I feel like Brendan Fraser really transforms as soon as yeah. wish one uh, takes place. And then he really starts to take off. And that's when you really start to like his character. I think. Yeah. I'll say that, that there is a character building that's happening uh, throughout the wishes for Brendan Fraser's character. He seems to be a little bit more kind of receptive of the information that he's getting throughout the wishes. Whereas like the Dudley Moore character a lot of times the when he's doing the characters, they don't really feel like it's still him, you know, like the uh, the Stanley Moon that you're introduced to. So you sort of end up feeling like some of these wishes are sort of disconnected from the character. Whereas I think Brendan Fraser does, one, a great job of transforming into the quote-unquote different characters while still retaining, um, for the most part, um, the original character's essence you know so it's like somehow and we'll get into it but like somehow while being a colombian drug lord he's still (laughs) he's still like the original loser um where i feel like the dudley moore his transformations are so complete that they actually don't even feel like at times the same character to me again that's an opinion that may you may have your your own there no i I think i agree with you i think the first getting a little ahead of ourselves because that first wish that Brandon Fraser does, like he's kind of blown away by his whole new situation. He's like, you know, commenting on everything that's like happened to him. He's just like, Oh my God, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. I can't believe this. Whereas Dudley Moore's character was just like, I'm already in it. I'm not everything that's happening around me. It's just like, it's almost like it's the way it's always been. Nothing surprising me. Nothing's wonderful. It's just, this is the way it goes. And I'm just already going with it. But I think, uh, Brendan Fraser, the way he's like, oh my god, this is incredible. You go, you go along with him more because you're yeah, just like, yeah, I, this is sudden, and yeah, he's acknowledging that this is sudden. Okay, so it's easier yeah. to go on that ride than, uh, I guess, the Stanley characters. So I yeah. like, I guess, overall, I like Stanley uh, as a normal person, but I like Elliot in the wishes, if that makes sense. I think I think that makes sense, and um, we we definitely get to the wishes mm-hmm. again, not to get too far ahead of ourselves. But I think you, you're kind of nailing a theme where um, the Dudley Moore character, when he takes on a wish, he seems to have just been in that that life. Whereas um, Brendan Fraser seems more like the audience of an observer of what's going on to himself. So I think that those are two parallels that we'll see when we get to that, that portion. Um, mm-hmm. The two lead sort of... Uh, Female characters before we get into the devil. So yeah, so you've got Margaret Spencer played by Eleanor Braun and Allison being played by Frances O'Connor. I hate to say it like this, 
both characters. I think Margaret, the Margaret character from the original, we actually get to know a bit more about as a character, and there, you know, we'll get into why. Mm-hmm. But um, both of them are kind of like window dressing. <laughs> They're, yeah. you know, which I think is sort of the concept of this this loser character who is taking on this idea of who these women are. And it's more the idea than actually the person themselves, mm-hmm. uh, at least early on in the films. So I think both actresses do a fine job, but like, there's nothing really to cling on to for yeah. either one of them. Yeah, because as um, our main character changes his persona in every wish, so does mm-hmm. his love interest. Right. So the only thing that's the same is just the way she kind of looked, just her face, not even her hair is like always the same. Right. So right. it's, it's kind of this, uh, I don't know, shallow kind of love. Cause he, it's not really, I'm in love with the girl and the way she is. I just want her to be in love with me and I don't care what she does as long as she still looks like that right. and just loves me. So yeah, I guess um, character wise, it's, it's hard to build on her character when you don't really know who she is because yeah. you're just getting these, uh, these sort of ideals that he wishes she would be sure to sure. love him i mean the the closest thing you get is um after stanley attempts to kill himself in the original film um there's a like a detective character that um the love interest talks to throughout the film so you get some background into mm-hmm. her those interactions there's a scene in the new film where um you know, Brandon Fraser goes through her diary and, you know, you get some character building from that, but even that, like her diary entry in the new film is pretty shallow. So, yeah. and I always, I wasn't hundred percent sure that the devil was being honest. It could have been all fake from, yeah. I was never hundred percent sure about that scene. That's fair. And, um, that's a good way to, that's a good way to put it. Cause when you look at the two devils, you've got Peter Cook playing George Spigot the devil himself and then Liz Hurley playing her take on the devil. It's the unreliable sort of narrator. They're, they're taking us along in the story, but can you trust them? Because they are the devil from the very beginning of the film. They both more or less trick the, the uh, main character into uh, taking on a wish that, you know, none of us really, um, unless you're really paying attention are aware is the first wish. Dudley Moore meets Peter Cook and he asks for, a Frobisher's ice cream, ice lolly, you know, Brendan Fraser asked for a big mag. So the, you didn't even get any fries with that. <laughs> and then they pay for it. You know, both. So yeah. there's that same parallel there where you get this, this early look at um, the devil on both sides. And there's this, uh, as the British would say, there's this cheeky sort of, um, there's this deviousness to them. That's a little more subtle than just um, outright devil. You're not getting this like, evil feeling from the characters so so i mean for you like what's your take on the uh the peter cook devil george spigot i mean like i said before he's kind of just like a normal dude and seems like all right and nice but i mean if i had to choose i, I gotta go liz hurley here because if you have to hang out with the devil all day you might as well hang out with the hot one you know I, and uh like i said liz hurley was the reason i saw that movie so yeah. um i mean character wise they're both kind of the same like you said they're not really pure evil but they're mischievous i guess right um they do little things that are kind of annoying to other people they're really childish and um i guess 
what the, these evil deeds that they do. Yeah. It's it's really stuff that little kids would find funny, and it's no. not really entirely evil, right? It, they're not going to like hospitals and killing children. <laughs> it's like okay, yeah. wow, or orphanages and burning those. No, that would that would just be too much, I guess. But you know, they're uh, messing with uh, parking meters and messing with the traffic lights and. It's just these small little cheeky things, exactly, that, sure. that British cheekiness uh, to these devils. But um, like I said, if I got to hang out with one all day, might as well hang out with uh, Liz Hurley, who keeps changing into these sexy outfit versions of, of all these different jobs. And she wears yeah. really well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'll say that both devil characters do a great job of um, infusing humor into it. Like you said, like there's moments where Liz Hurley's messing with parking meters. She uh, <laughs> she sets the car on fire. I'd say that was probably the most intense of the devil actions <laughs> I can see. Whereas um, Peter Cook is like trying to get birds to poop on people's <laughs> the things that he's doing. Like you said, they're pretty innocuous, and the main characters in both films both sort of point out that like like you mentioned these childish like antics that they're pulling off. They're like you know, you're supposed to be the devil, but I see you're just doing these like little childish pranks, more or less. And in both films, the devil is more or less likable. Like, yeah. it's a positive character. So you're getting to see some of that with humor infused. And I think both of them do a great job with the humor. But obviously, Peter Cook cannot beat Liz Hurley <laughs> um, hot factor. No, they, they both do it. They both do a good job of being charming, right? I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the point that you want the devil to be charming because you want you want to be hanging out with this person, you want to trust this person. So they have this charming and almost trust factor, but you can't entirely trust them because it's the devil, right? And right. these things are going to come back and bite you in the ass. So that that's a it's quite a balancing act they have to do there between like tr- being trustworthy and still I'm still the devil. So and I think they both pull it off pretty well. They both funny in their own right but Absolutely. just at the end of the day you can't deny liz hurley huh there's just enough under the surface for both characters there's just enough where you're like okay there is a danger factor here although they're being nice and you know liz hurley's character kind of says that outright that like she is being nice but she can you know kind of do the fire and brimstone thing if she felt like it and that that's a fun play off of uh you know the prince or princess or whatever it is of evil in um in both of these films. She actually has like a dark moment, like towards the end of the movie when she's like, make your final wish where she like, right. starts getting serious and like, I, you will burn for all eternity. Yeah. Peter Cook never gets, to, gets to have that moment. He's always the likable devil of the entire movie. He's never threatening. Like the yeah. way Liz Hurley as threatening as a giant Liz Hurley in a bikini can be. <laughs> He's never that threatening. Right. The closest thing that the original film ha- has to it is that cameo by Raquel Welch. There's another character that has to be kind of like the sexy character in the film. And it's interesting to see that play out in one character in the remake where it's like the devil, but also like she's a bombshell too. And it's it's a nice touch. Um, if you want to go pure comedy, I think Peter Cook is my my choice personally. Um, is because I think he does a lot of subtle things throughout um, his portrayal that bring a lot of humor into the, the film. Liz Hurley does the same thing. Um, she's not 
purely a comedic actress, you would say, but she's she does great in comedies, as you mentioned, Austin Powers. So I think it depends on what you're going for. My slight edge is to um, Peter Cook for this character, but I think you're uh, you're leaning <laughs> the uh, the other way. If oh, I had yeah. to guess. Heavy Lizarelli over here. <laughs> Love it. Maybe we should get into the wishes. There it is. There yeah. we go. Yeah, let's talk about these wishes, these seven fun wishes. All right, so let's start with the wishes, not the uh, the tricky wish. Where We'll get into that one. Well, yeah, let's we'll... start with the, the fun ones. So Dudley Moore's first wish, I guess just to be an intellectual? Yeah, so, you know, he's, he's not articulate. Uh, he doesn't use words like articulate. And Dudley Moore's character wishes that he could express himself to Margaret because we see in the opening sequence he's... He wants to talk to Margaret, but he can't. Yeah, even so. when she's t- taking an order, or giving him an order, he like can't even say two words to her. He's just like, uh, uh. even though yeah. he works with her, he still can't talk to her. So yeah, to be an intellectual, so he can just, all the words can just easily come out and he can woo her. I love the weird accent that he takes on here. Oh, yeah. He's like roll, rolling his R's a lot. <laughs> a proper um, intelligent person, proper, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> Was he kind of Scottish? I kind of got like a almost a Scottish vibe. Almost, you know, something like that. Regal is, I think, what they were going for there. And, you know, he, he is, in this case, truly an intellectual. I like that the apartment doesn't really change. Like, there's more stuff in it, but, like, he's more or less in the same place, which I thought was fun. And, you know, he's talking about different arts and music and long walks. Like, he's he's he now is able to express himself. Um quite a bit smart guy articulate they're listening though to um records at their house but there's a catch <laughs> you know um because it's going so well for him and you know dudley moore is not used to being able to express himself to margaret when it comes to sort of like the physical side of things he just goes way over the top like he can't contain himself and um he sort of throws himself onto margaret well, and, uh, wait, before that, um, the whole thing was like they were talking about like you ever just touch something like how something feels really nice when you're with when you can't see it. Right. So they're using the more tactile approach They're They blinded folded them. They blindfolded themselves and are just starting to touch random things in the apartment. Right. And then she just starts, uh, I don't know, sort of insinuating like. I just want to touch everything. And don't you just want to touch? Doesn't it just feel good? And then she just kept mentioning how she likes touching. She wants to be touched. And he's like, yeah, why shouldn't you just be touched? If I'm right here and I'm touching, you're touching. And then he says, it's like, I'm a man, you're a woman. If there's two adults that want to do things, they should certainly do it. There's this undertone of, oh, well, clearly we're talking about getting physical. Dudley Moore leans into that feeling and he tries to get physical with Margaret Spencer because, you know, there's some innuendo going on there. She immediately reacts very poorly. Um, yeah. <laughs> Did she start yelling rape? She yelled rape, yes. <laughs> she starts yelling she rape. rape, yes. Contextually, I don't think you can do that in uh, films anymore um, <laughs> for j- just pure comedy. But yeah, she starts yelling, um, yelling out that she's being raped. Um, yeah. And you can, like, the police are immediately there. You can hear them banging on the door. <laughs> and it's all, like, a bit of um, a bit of fun. You know, in the modern era, I don't know if uh, modern audiences are going to have as much fun with it as uh, was intended there. But um, it's a humorous moment. Oh, yeah. And, I could understand what they meant, you know. They weren't 
making light of rave. They were just kind of no. like, this guy was crossing the line. He didn't realize it. And then all of it, it just got blown way out of proportion. And then now the cops are here. So I understood what they were going for. And yeah, I had a good laugh. <laughs> I, I, I had a laugh with it in that moment, because we didn't talk about this yet. Um, in that moment, Stanley blows a raspberry. He does that sound. And that's the way he, that he gets to come back to the real world, you know, back to being just Stanley and out of the wish. So, uh, you know, as soon as the articulate stuff was working, but he tried to get physical, it wasn't working. This wish has gone sideways. He's out, blows a raspberry, and he's out. The, the new film, it's not quite sequenced the same way. There's a similar wish I think uh, you were getting at, but uh, it's not wish one, but we should talk about the parallel. Yeah. So this is wish four for Brendan Fraser, and it's sort of the same thing. He's... He just wants to be an intellectual. He wants to be able. To, he wants to be smart because we'll get into it. His previous wish, he was dumb, so he just really wants to be smart. He wants Allison to fall in love with his brain, and um, <laughs> he also <laughs> wants. He also wants to hang dong. He wants to be huge down yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. It's also I guess we get into that because in a previous wish, there there was an issue with uh, size. Yeah. yeah, pretty much in his last wish, he was stupid and had a tiny dick. So he wants to be smart and have a big dick. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's there call it what it is. There you go. So he does that. He's at this dinner party. There's a lot of people in suits. There's fancy cocktail music going yeah. on. Everybody's drinking champagne, talking about books he's releasing. Oh yeah, we should talk about this too. And and his wishes, um, he's always there with his coworkers, um, his three, sometimes four coworkers, but mainly these three other guys that he works with. And in the original, the Stanley is always there. Well, I guess was the devil there in the first wish? Because the uh, devil's usually there, but he I don't wasn't. Know. He wasn't really there for that first wish. Okay. That was sort of an independent wish. Um, okay, you, you are right. The devil is typically there but there were a few in the original where um you're not seeing um sort of the recurring characters okay so the only recurring character in the original other than margaret and stanley is the devil sometimes but in the remake not only do we get elliot and allison but we get the three co-workers sometimes a fourth co-worker and sometimes the devil so yeah. there's a lot of characters in the yeah, remake um, I love the one character, uh, Orlando Jones. He's got a, his name. I always try to say it. I can't say it. Though. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, yeah. Your new book is about to get published. That's right. <laughs> I, I can't roll my tongue like yeah. this. But yeah, he has all these highly intellectual people at his apartment. And then he sees Allison. And he starts wooing her, talking about um, have what the largest organ on your body is about you don't know. It's your skin. Yeah. And then core bustles and stuff like that. They start getting drunk in champagne. And then he brings her back to his apartment. So it looks like everything's good, right? She, she's in love with him. He's got her and they're a little tipsy. They're back at his place. But then... Uh-oh. Big twist. Big turns twist. Turns out yeah. Brendan Fraser is... Uh, <laughs> turns out Brendan Fraser's gay. And this is, this is revealed to us for the first time. And to Brendan Fraser um, that uh, he is already married to another man and you know Brendan Fraser can't believe it he's like oh come on there's no <laughs> there's no way that um that I'm gay his uh his husband in that wish sequence pretty funnily asked him a bunch of questions that immediately apparently are qualifiers um <laughs> they asked about the original cast of rent <laughs> you know things like that and to prove that he he's not gay Brendan Fraser 
kisses the Allison character and to a comedic effect there's this deadpan moment where he's like, Yep, nope, totally gay. Yep, it was nice knowing you. <laughs> Have a good evening. You know, that's a more modern film. I don't know if uh again, because of the way like society has been trending with art, mm-hmm. I don't know if that plays for a modern audience, but um again, I think both films are just having a bit of good old school fun. I don't think there's much thought into uh different groups. It's just funny. All right, he wants to hook up with a chick he gets everything he wants but turns out he doesn't even like women so yeah. that wishes bunk and that's um how that one went obviously the equivalent on the other side um a little more extreme where you know he's able to articulate but uh when he goes to get physical um he's overstepping his bounds they're both fun ways to approach the intellectual which one i'm gonna give the nod to uh to the brendan fraser which one just because there's a lot of lead up before we get to that big sort of comedic reveal and it's actually one of brendan frazier's funny funnier reveals uh in my opinion when it comes to the wish so that wish one in the original versus wish four in the new one i I like the brendan frazier um scene there it's one because there are more characters there's more to play with in the scene and i think it serves the movie well no i think the i gotta go with the remake on that one too you're sitting there it's the it's already the fourth wish and you're trying to figure out what where is it where's when's the floor gonna or when's the rug going to be pulled out from under him? When are we going to see the thing that makes this wish suck? And then it's like, oh, yeah, there it is. So it came out of nowhere. It's unexpected. And it's, I guess it's, even though it's bizarre and he wouldn't, it's weird that he doesn't know he's gay. I guess it's right. more believable for me because it's like in the original, he's talking about touching all these things with the girl and then she's kind of talking right. the same thing. And all of a sudden he just starts touching her and then she just like freaks out right away. It's like, whoa, yeah, yeah, yeah. whoa, whoa, <laughs> where did that come from? You just, yeah, I, I, I guess like... <laughs> women could freak out like that but i, I mean oh, the way sure, she was sure. talking it's just like yeah i guess she wants some touching right <laughs> so it almost came out of nowhere for me in the original i was just, but i still had a laugh at it but i think oh, so, i definitely laughed a lot more at the brendan fraser one yeah yeah i just think that uh all all the lead up in the brendan fraser one like he his new book is about like neoclassical romance you know like who buys this stuff <laughs> <laughs> And then his character, yeah, he just has so much fun with these characters. I think it's really enjoyable to watch him. We'll get yeah, into yeah. that more as we talk about more of these wishes, but he really has fun with these characters. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, sort of leaning back to uh, us talking about how we originally introduced these films, hey, man, the range of Brendan Fraser is on full display here. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> this is just a treat for me, my friend. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, the, fun, fun first wish in um, the first film. Uh, it's a nice little intro into um, the way wishes don't go well. I think that this new film was smart to have sort of their articulate one play out where it does. I think that it played better to sequence it where they had it as wish four in the new film. Again, it's a longer scene. There's more to play with there. It gives you an actual payoff. So there, there's a lot more fun in that first wish. So I don't know if we're officially doing this, but I'm going to say the nod for that wish is uh, is there for me for the remake. I agree too. I think we're going to find, because it's more modern and because it's also more American, the humor, I think we might lean a little bit more there. But we will see. I don't know. We'll (laughs) see. We'll see. There there could be some variances. Well, we have Um, to go through all the wishes. So, on that note, let's go on to the second wish in the original, which was to be rich, powerful, and married to his love interest. So, he wants to be married to Margaret. So, Dudley Moore, or Stanley, I should say, he's. He's rich, he has this big house, 
Um, but they're just outside of the mansion. They're at a pool or something. I, I can't exactly remember. I know there's a guy that really flirts with her. I want to say they were at least like having some sort of like um, picnic or something like that. I'm trying to remember exactly what was going on. But um, you see Dudley Moore's character sort of arrives on the scene and um, meets up with uh, Margaret. Was it was it the devil in this situation? The devil was there. Yes. Yeah. And the guy's like, name was Randy, if you want that, too. So Margaret is hanging out with Randy in this situation, and Dudley Moore's character is rich, and he's powerful. And he is married to her. He is married to her, and he's doing anything he can to try to you know make her happy. He gets her expensive things. Uh, that plays like comedic effect because we start to see that um, Margaret has like sort of this thing for Randy going on. There's clearly <laughs> some sort of like uh, sexual tension there. And anytime you start to see that laid on kind of thick, uh, Dudley Moore goes off to get another expensive thing <laughs> to hand to her. Very British. I, I find I found that to be funny. Here comes here comes another twist. It's like, hey, I, I'm rich and I'm powerful, but the woman of my dreams really isn't that interested in me. You know, even though I have these things going on, she's more interested in Randy. I think he also wanted to be a little more forward sexually too, right? Because she didn't, or was that another wish? I think that that may have been an, another wish. I think. Um, okay, I'm I jumping think, ahead. Maybe I'm jumping ahead to when he met Lust. All right, my bad. Yeah, no, no problem. But um, I think that where you're going with that though is because in the sequence he's realizing that he needs to make those parameters because he's got the riches, he's got um the power, and he's married to her, but she has no interest in him. So he's realizing now that one of the devil's tricks is that sure you can have all these things, but if you don't specify, you're gonna um, you're gonna end up with not exactly what you wanted. So in this situation, she couldn't be bothered with him. That that's not what he truly was wishing for. He wanted her to be married to him and like him, and that didn't happen in this sequence. It's actually kind of a double twist because the whole time she's with Randy, just touching. They're just touching each other all the time. Yeah, is, yeah. is he like a teacher of hers or something? Because I, I, I remember they had, she had a music lesson, so maybe he's yeah, that's music what it was. instructor or something. But for some yeah. reason, he's also at the pool with her. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, they, so the whole time, like Dudley Moore, he's talking with the devil who's now, I guess he's not the devil. He's just a, a business associate um, right. that he's talking with. The whole time, he's he's always looking over his shoulders like, where's Margaret? Where's where's my wife? Yeah. And she's, she's always with Randy, and they're always like, have less clothes on and are always touching. Finally... He's like, where is she? And then you can hear her music lesson and the music stops. So you think, oh, now they're, he's going to walk in on them having sex. Yeah. But it's just Randy by himself. There's no there's no Margaret. And you're like, oh, so she's not cheating on him. But then he goes back and then now the devil is gone. And then he walks in on the devil and his wife in a bath together. And she's naked. Or you at least see a body double, her right. <laughs> breasts in the mirror. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was a little twist there. It wasn't Randy who slept with the wife. It was the devil. Yeah, you, you did have that double twist. And I, I think Dudley Moore does such a good job in this scene of um, as he's coming to these realizations, he sort of trails off of his talk. You know, I thought she was taking those music <laughs> lessons. And and you see him kind of like trying to figure out where she is and if she's she with Randy. Why is it quiet right now? Like you said, why? You know, they're frolicking around quite a bit. And it's a fun it's a fun sequence. I, I think that everybody does a great job in that scene of just making the comedy happen between the lines. Like everything's sort of implied. And you're right. You're thinking that, oh, no, the music's not playing. 
she must be hooking up with Randy, and then you realize that there's even more to it. It's it's a fun sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely one of the more fun sequences, I think, with the wishes. I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I just really like Dudley Moore the whole time. Like he's yeah. just so desperate to try to please her. Like every time bringing yeah. her a new present, he brings her the Mona Lisa at one the point. The Mona Lisa, yeah. And she's just like, uh, yeah, it looks nice, I guess. And he's just like so, standing there with his grin, like, huh, huh? Do you like it? <laughs> it's he's really charming uh, during this wish. I really enjoy- appreciated his performance the whole time. Very fun. Now, would you say Wish Two Dudley Moore's character is essentially Wish One? For um, Brendan Fraser. Absolutely. He wants mm-hmm. to be rich and powerful and married to Allison. So it's exactly what he gets. Or is it? <laughs> <laughs> is it? <laughs> because this... all of a sudden, he habla espanol. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a big swing right out the gate for the uh, the remake. Uh, Brendan Fraser, he lives in a mansion in uh, Columbia. It's clear that he has a lot of money and he's got a lot of power. And, and it's fun. Like, like you said... Um, his character speaks Spanish, I, which is funny. You know, it's funny that Brendan Fraser is doing most of this scene in Spanish. We get introduced to the concept that the co-workers are going to be in the sequence because you see Orlando Jones is there with a crazy wig and, like, mustache. All of his co-workers are, like, the workers for him. And everything seems to be more or less fine. But Allison has her own love interest in this sequence, <laughs> the English teacher. Raul. <laughs> And it's funny because, you know, Brendan Fraser, again, there, I think there is a, a, a similar sort of double twist here where um, Brendan Fraser is so focused on Raul and the English lessons that he's giving his wife that he never really questions why he's rich. or He never really questions, like, why he speaks Spanish. You know, he's just kind of there. It turns out, <laughs> for comedic effect, that he is a Colombian drug lord. He's what? Basically- that wasn't sugar? What? <laughs> Yeah, it's like he's basically Pablo Escobar. <laughs> and, cocaina! You know, Ra- it's cocaina! <laughs> Raul's been sleeping with his wife for uh, months now. Um, she's not getting much better at English. <laughs> and the bad twist is that he's a Colombian drug lord. Well, I think it's bigger. I think the main twist is that like she's sleeping with this Raul guy and she hates him. She, yes. just, she straight up tells him she hates him. I think it's just... Uh, you know, salt to the wound saying, hey, you're also a Colombian drug lord, too. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, that's that's sort of that that final twist. Of, like, yes, you are a Colombian drug lord and you're being raided right now. He's like in the middle of like a crazy shootout. It's a pretty um, intense action sequence for just being like a kind of goofy comedy. But man, like you said, we're going to see a little bit of quote unquote range from Brendan mm-hmm. Fraser, because uh, there will be times where he plays a Spanish drug lord. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, if we're talking, if we're comparing the two, I think I have to give it to the remake again here. I, I kind of mentioned it before, but Brendan Fraser just has so much fun with these characters that he becomes. And this is his first wish in the remake. So he's coming to the realizations like, hold on, I'm speaking Spanish. I never right. could speak Spanish. So he's having so much fun discovering all these new, um, I guess, abilities and talents that he has or just sure. his new life. He's just everything he discovers. He's having so much fun with it. And you're having so much fun with him just watching him right. discover all these things. It's a, it's I, like, I really love that scene when he learns he can speak Spanish and then he just yeah. recalls his Spanish teacher in high school. He's like, oh, if she could see me now. <laughs> uh, he's, yeah. he's having so much fun. I'm having fun. I really love it. I think it's either this one or... 
one of them this is one of my favorite wishes in the, the remake that's for sure this is um, definitely um uh, this is definitely a favorite for, for me as well it's not my absolute favorite but it's like you said it's close mm-hmm. but um i think one of the things too is that you get introduced to way more concepts here when it comes to wish one in um, the remake mm-hmm. you you can understand that it's not limited to um culture um at all he could be speaking spanish you're realizing that the character could become wildly different than what um you're used to seeing from elliot richards like he his appearance is completely different throughout his wishes and we're introduced to that concept uh pretty early here whereas in the original yeah there are times where you know dudley moore is a different character but he's sort of close enough to the pin that it doesn't really change much often whereas like brendan fraser's characters are they're characters, and they're they're being played out, and I think um, it serves the remake pretty well. So I, like you said, I'm a huge fan of Wish Number One in uh, the first film. Yeah, it does a really good job of setting the rules and world building in the remake. Uh, as Brandon Fraser discovers all these new things, we're discovering them, and then he's learning the rules. We're learning the rules with him, right. so it's easier for us to go for the ride as opposed to the original, where it's just all the rules were kind of just there, and you kind of had to figure it out because Dudley Moore's character already knew but you didn't know so right. um, having Brandon Fraser kind of act as yeah. you would in that situation I, I think it really it's the strength of the remake that's for sure absolutely you know one subtle difference here um, is when the wishes go bad in the remake there is essentially like a pager or something like that it's, yeah that's I think that's what she said pager yeah so you know he has to type in the magic numbers 666 and uh, he can go back to uh, being just Elliot Richards. And you see it in the sequence as well. There's different moments where he's not going to have access to the pager. You know, outright, he's, sometimes he has to figure out where it is or how it fits into the, the context of the scene that he's in. As opposed to just like blowing a raspberry. From a, a 1960s British humor, I'm sure that's hilarious. But like blowing raspberries after a while, it's like, it's a bit childish. Yeah, I was watching it and my wife was and just doing whatever in the background she's like i hate it every time he makes that noise i'm like sorry he does it every time he hates a wish i don't know what to do (laughs) we're gonna tell you no going back to the pager though i mean like you said it's a it's not as easy um for him to get out of these wishes but i'm glad they didn't do i was afraid that they were gonna do a sequence where somebody stole the pager and then he would he would be stuck in the wish and then he'd have to go on a chase i was really afraid the remake would do that i'm just really happy they didn't there's zero reason for it it would have been sort of like false drama i don't think that there was any need for it given from a world building standpoint we get it you know like you're in the wish you're gonna get out of the wish like we don't need things to be missing um the closest thing we'll get to it is um we'll get to when he yeah we have to look for it yeah to me that's way more acceptable than um what you just described of i'm glad no one took it either because it would have been a waste of time i think all right, so let's go on to the third wish of the original, which mm-hmm. was to be a famous pop star. Oh, yeah. So this is where Dudley Moore's songwriting abilities come to full play. And it's this pretty a weird much, Yeah, it is a little weird. It's kind of like an old 60s kind of Ed Sullivan type of yeah. deal where they're just having a mu- making a music video kind of thing where he's kind of lip syncing to a song and then everybody's enjoying it and dancing and all the girls like it it's kind yeah. of a it's all right what'd you think of the song i wasn't you know i i thought of it as you know okay satire you know this the song didn't you know 
blow me away or anything like that. It wasn't terrible, but it, you know, it certainly wasn't like great, which I think is sort of sort of the statement that they were trying to make because it seemed like it was kind of like kind of like poppy bullshit more or less. Mm. You know, we're immediately followed by what I think is an even weirder song <laughs> is the uh, George Spigot uh, Devil song where he's basically like, "I don't care," you know, yeah, like he got this like moody. You got these opposite things kind of going on. Dudley Moore songs all about love me, love me. It's kind of like yeah. the Beatles kind of thing. That's just weird. love me. And then you got the devil coming out kind of like the Velvet Underground. Just like, leave me alone. He's not even singing. He's kind of just talking yeah. while these women sing in the background. And yeah. then I guess that is where our twist comes in. Because in the middle of that song, that's when Margaret realizes, oh, I want this pop star instead of you. Right. So it's kind of like... Uh, because he he seems needy in his song, and the devil just like Ugh, stay away from me. So I guess that yeah. that attracts the women. Yeah, yeah Dudley Moore is, has this desperate, you know, sort of song that again Margaret because part of his wish was, you know, he wanted to be a big pop star and for Margaret to like him, which she does. She likes his music until she's introduced to something she likes a little bit more. So there, like you said, there goes the twist again just a bit more character fleshing out that his song is so desperate and needy that he really needs to be loved. The devil, like his song doesn't, it doesn't truly matter. <laughs> you know, it's there to sort of juxtaposition, but at the end of the day, um, it has nothing really to do with the devil. Cause he's not really after Margaret Spencer, but it's a nice way to show that there's two sort of dichotomies here. And uh, Stanley Moon is just way over the top when it comes to trying to get acceptance. And I guess the equal to that in the remake is not... There was a Rockstar sequence, but it was cut. Um, but we what we have is sort of... I think this is sort of the equal is like just being famous is the basketball yeah. thing. I was going to say that it's probably the closest parallel. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. All right, so in the remake... Um, he wants to be big. He wants to be strong. He wants to be this NBA star. So Brendan mm -hmm. Frazier comes out. How tall is he? He's like seven foot six or something. Yeah, it's some crazy like that. He's seven six. He's got this ridiculous blonde <laughs> wig on. He, he's really stupid, but he's really good at basketball. He's really good at basketball. He plays on a team called the Diablos. You know, a little <laughs> bit on the nose there, but yeah, it's fun. all right. You're going for the ride. It's pretty fun. He's incredible at basketball. And then Allison, or he makes pretty much makes like breaks every record, getting all these points. And then uh, he goes to the locker room, and then Allison's a reporter. She's interviewing mm -hmm. him, and you just see how stupid he is, just answering all these questions. Yeah. He can't get a thought out. Like it's like you know, the team we get out there, we, we play. The team it was good, out. yeah, it was a good yep. team. We played good, and you want to play good, you know. <laughs> and and there you go, Brendan Fraser, <laughs> just. Yeah spreading his acting chops all around no it was great and then like oh no she says to him hey, how's about like a private interview he's like all yeah. right i guess uh, let me just shower first and she's like all right i'm ready so he's got a, nothing but a towel on he's like all right i guess i'm gonna just trying, take it she's off big, she's trying to get a big story dan a big scoop right the <laughs> big scoop and you know uh well she maybe they're gonna go back back to her apartment for uh you know to get the scoop <laughs> A lot of innuendo there. A lot of innuendo that he might not be picking up on because he's pretty stupid. <laughs> uh, but he eventually figures it out. So he 
takes his towel off in front of her and we never get to see it which i feel right. like damn i wish you could have seen it because it, apparently he has a really tiny dick and then I, that's his, just his, yeah his reaction is great when he like opens the time, like, oh come on like, <laughs> like, what the hell damn the devil damn the devil <laughs> and then fun, she man. she sees it and she's immediately like, oh, I got to go uh, write a story, you know. Sorry, I can't be with you. Like, oh, you got to give 100%. I understand. Yeah, yeah. You know, a little thing came up and she's got to go. And it, it's, See, what, it's wait, fun. Teeny? What's teeny? <laughs> That's good. I'm, so the, basically the joke is he's this amazing athlete, but he has a small dick. So yep. nobody wants to sleep with him. You know, again, be careful what you wish for, you know. <laughs> When when you're talking about the films, because like it's been a while since I've seen these films, I would say we, we've already kind of talked about the two wishes that really stuck out to me from uh, my first watch. I remember the Colombian drug lord scene because it's so ridiculous and over the top. And I remember this scene because, again, the wig is bad. <laughs> like, it's a pretty funny character. And, like, the, the payoff that he has a small dick is it's hilarious. Clearly, once again, I got to give the nod in the wish department to the new film mm-hmm. and for the reasons that we've talked about quite a bit already, but um, Brendan Fraser gets to act out these characters and because these characters are fleshed out, the payoffs are just so much better. Cause like you're sitting there, you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. And then when it drops, it's like, okay, small dick. Got it. That's, that's <laughs> hilarious. Shit. I definitely agree with you. I'm just thinking of the Dudley Moore one where he's the pop star and it's, it's kind of a one-note joke. It's just like, I'm singing about loving me, and then now the devil's just singing about don't love me, leave me alone. And there's not really a lot of humor in that nah. wish. It's just you're kind of listening to two songs, and depending on the type of humor you're like, you might be laughing the whole time, or you might just be like, all right, this is running a little long. For me, I felt it was a little long. The songs, they, was, they weren't that funny. Nah. Uh, it, you, you understood it after the first sentence or the first verse. So right. I was like, oh, I was waiting for something to happen. And it was just like, oh, that's the payoff. It's just the, he's just singing the opposite thing. All right, this is a little long. But the Brendan Fraser, again, you got to give it to Brendan Fraser. He's having so much fun with these characters. Um, he really plays that stupid <laughs> basketball player, like, excellent. There's this one part where, like, I guess they rigged, like, some tube up to his hair because he's sweating nonstop being interviewed after the basketball yeah. game, getting sweat all over the guy interviewing him. It's just so good fun all around. Even when he the reveal, he like he's just having, he just looks like yeah. he's having so much fun with these characters, and you can't help yeah. but have fun with him. Yeah, and and again, um, even though like I said, the the female love interest in um, both films, there's not much to them. The Frances O'Connor character gets to play a little bit here, you know, like she's reacting to seeing the seeing him, and she makes the joke about something being tiny. And again, the coworkers get to play like the commentators. Oh, uh, yeah. during... They're pretty it's, good. It's, it's pretty, pretty funny, man. Like just the idea that he's like scoring like 104 points in a game and like the way they're like introducing it while he's like dunking and stuff like that. It's, it's a funny scene. I think the new film just gives all the actors so much more to work with that um, it pays off for the audience as well. Because to me, that is. That's one of the highlights of the film. That's a very funny sequence. Great wish. Mm-hmm. Well, let's skip uh, the original's fourth wish because that's a little bit different. There's nothing like that in the remake. So let's go to the fifth wish where Stanley wants to be a loving couple. Pretty much the setup is Stanley comes what seems like his home 
and Margaret's there in the kitchen. She's kind of waiting for him, and she's happy to see him. She's in love with him, and we actually see them kiss. I was surprised. I was like, wow, he actually gets to kiss her here. But then immediately after he does that, the devil walks in as playing a normal person, and Mm -hmm. he just happens to be married to Margaret. So there's the twist right there that, yes, he got Margaret to fall in love with him, but it's because she's having an affair in this marriage to this seemingly perfect husband right? the whole time. And that's kind of the joke that they uh, play on because they, you, after you find out that she's married uh, to the devil, um, Stanley and Margaret, they go out in a car together and then they start to, I guess they start to bang. <laughs> they're they're going to have an affair. They're going to have sex. And uh, the whole time they're doing it, they're just thinking about what an amazing husband <laughs> that she has. And the whole time, they're like making out and crying at the same time, which is pretty funny. <laughs> it's it pretty funny. Just like they, they realize how good of a person, like you said, the uh, the devil's character is in this uh, this wish sequence. And both of them, you know, they're having this affair and they, they can't stand it. They're, they're hurting <laughs> this very good person. Like they... It's too much for them to bear. Like, uh, like you said, while they're taking their clothes off and things like that, they're crying, and it plays the pretty comedic effect. I think it's, I think it's actually one of the more memorable, fun wishes of the uh, of the original film. Oh, definitely. I think Margaret has a lot more to do in this wish. She's having a lot more fun. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the more memorable ones for me. Just, <laughs> just the concept of them, like. Um, like they're driving off, driving away, and they start to hook up, and it's just the the interaction that they have there. It's, it's a lot of fun, and I'm glad that the movie let them actually play with uh, some of these concepts here. It was a, it was a good twist. I already said it, but it's one of the better sequences. Mm-hmm. There was a funny beat there too, because they're they're both in like the front seats of the car, and they're talking about what a good husband he is, and they get out of the car, and you think, oh, they're not going to have the affair. But instead of stopping, they go into the backseat of the car the back, to continue yes. their affair. It's pretty funny. It's so funny. I guess the parallel wish to that in the remake is... The ultra-sensitive? <laughs> yes. Ultra-sensitive Elliot. Oh, no, I think this what, might be my wish number that wish. was? Was that wish two for him? Uh-huh. As it was, it was a wish too. Okay. He wants to be sensitive and he wants Allison to be in love with him because uh, this is following the first wish. So that's right. This is when, yeah, because Allison hated him so much in the first. He's like, "What's the point of being married to her if she hates me?" So I just want her to be in love with me. This was all right. He thought he figured out the problem. He thought he figured out how to fix the problem, and he's like, "Okay, well, she hated me. I'll just make her love me." So here we go. Bam. Yeah, and there's there's also the bit of pretext before he makes a wish where um the devil brings her excuse me brings him into um Allison's room so Allison is like taking a shower or something like that and there's this whole invasion of privacy sort of thing Brandon Fraser's uncomfortable with it but he's not uncomfortable enough to uh, take a peek at <laughs> the diary or I thought you were gonna say you're not uncomfortable enough to take a peek at her in the shower <laughs> that I think that too mm-hmm. I think that too. You're right. He absolutely does that. He's like, he's like, I'm not gonna look at her. Okay, one second, one second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it does the sort of classic movie trope where uh, he's he can see her, but she can't see him. She walks through him basically like a ghost. Like a ghost. 
<laughs> but we we find out that um in her diary, you know, she she's been with the jocks. She's been with, you know, the, the sort of tough guys in the past. And she wants someone a little bit more sensitive, someone that cares, you know, about her. And, you know, that inspires Brendan Fraser's character to make the wish that he does. Before really jumping into that wish, um, I did want to say that there's sort of a parallel there as well with Brendan Fraser not actually being in a room, being like her being able to walk through him like a ghost. It's kind of similar to what we see in the original film where Dudley Moore's character is presumably dead or missing. And um, he can see some of the different interactions that Allison, excuse me, Allison, that Margaret's having with uh, the detective in the original film. Yeah. Can you maybe explain it to me? Because um, how did the whole investigation start? I guess he left the suicide note. Yeah. So he left the suicide note before he met the devil. He had... He was trying to hang himself, obviously failed. And now, I guess because he's hanging out the devil, they didn't explain it. So you, it makes sense that you don't, <laughs> that it wouldn't know what was happening. Again, I'm just implying this, but uh, it seems that as he's hanging out the devil, people can't see him. And he's like looking at different moments where a detective is supposed to be investigating either his death or him going missing. The detective is getting pretty close with Margaret while the Stanley Moon character is missing. I think that element's actually kind of cool because there's some tension there we learned that she actually does care about stanley a little bit or at least noticed him um even though he didn't feel like he was noticed you can hear her kind of talking about oh he was a nice guy and all this stuff and the whole time this uh this detective's kind of trying to weasel in and uh make the moves on her well it's it's great because it actually we get to meet margaret we get to learn who she actually is right not just these ideals that he has in his wishes which is all we have in the remake we don't ever see allison during the wishes at all not in her um not in her own character either no, no. like if she does talk she's playing mm-hmm. a journalist or something else you're right yeah so yeah i definitely like those scenes in the original but i just i was just confused like how did this investigation start i guess he was just missing and then uh, there was a suicide note and her name was on it and that's yeah. why she's there too i was i just had trouble there that's all i know it, it is strange because the detective does say that you know, what was her relation to him? Because seemingly they're close. If he's leaving you a suicide note, but it seems like it kind of gets the wheels turning for her about like, oh, yeah, Stanley, you know, he's a he's a nice guy, more or less. And Stanley's realizing that um, kind of wishes that he was there to, you know, make his presence known. But uh, he's too busy wrapped up in his deal with the devil to um, interact there. But I, I agree with you. I think that this is a great sequence for the Margaret character, because we learn something about her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's not just this empty vessel. She's still kind of aloof in the scenes. She's she's kind of playing it dumb as well. Like, clearly this detective is trying to, like, make moves on her, yeah. and she's not really picking up on it. Dudley Moore is not a fan of the detective. He's like, oh, look at him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> inviting her to dates and stuff like that. But, um, again, I, I don't want to get too deep off, off of the wishes, but... Uh, I thought that it was a nice, subtle difference that um, I wanted to highlight before mm-hmm. we dove in. Um, but I guess going back to the super sensitive wish, Ginger Brendan Fraser. Ginger Brendan Fraser, I think, uh, is the best Brendan Fraser. We can agree. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a fu- another fun sequence. It's not my favorite because I think I think that scene plays a little too long. Um, but it, it it is funny that he's just like he's sitting there. He's he's hanging out with Allison. 
he wants to express himself to her. They in this seat in this dream, they're actually dating. They've been dating for a few weeks. But he can't he can't make a move because look at that sunset. <laughs> <laughs> Sunset's so beautiful. Every time so they're on the beach and they're the sun is setting. It's just, it's really romantic, I suppose. Yeah. And he yeah. keeps looking at it and every time he looks at it he cries, right? Cuz he's so sensitive. <laughs> he's kind of dressed like the, he's kind of dressed like a guy that would like be playing like acoustic guitar at like a college party, you know, trying to like Hook up with a chick. I don't know. I don't want to disparage any. He looks uh, like music. a background character on Dawson's Creek or something. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I know. Yeah, he does. He looks like he plays hacky sack on the weekends, you know. But it, it's it's so it's a funny. He's kind of this sensitive hippie guy. He's yeah. he's singing songs to her. He's writing poetry to her. He's make has all these drawings. He's, he's making of her. her. Yeah, it's a really nice drawing too. And uh, well, she she loves him. But, but, but exactly. And there, there's your twist. He's just too sensitive. Mm-hmm. He's too damn sensitive. Like he, he's like. There's these moments where they could be uh, interacting or hooking up or something. And he just he can't get out of his own way because he's he <laughs> feels so deeply <laughs> about her. You know, um, she just wants to be with somebody who wants to get in her pants. And even yeah. though he says he wants to get in her pants, uh, she, she I guess. He's just not, I guess, man enough, I suppose, uh, for her. And she loves him, but yeah, that's not what she wants. Another thing where it's great to have the co-workers as like these recurring characters. When they come up and they're like kicking sand in his face. <laughs> and then um, he's like, I want a guy, like you said, a guy who just kind of wants to get in my pants. He's like, oh, that's me. And they just like, they just roll out. Even in that moment, Brendan Fraser, he's, he's so upset that she's leaving. But then he gets another glimpse of that sunset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I love that sunset. That sunset is one of my favorite parts of the remake. I, yesterday we had a big storm in Jersey. Uh, yeah. I was walking with my wife, and I was like, "Look at that sunset." She's like, "What are you gonna start crying now?" <laughs> so she, you know, referenced that movie. It's uh, for me. It's one of my favorite moments in the movie. That sunset. <laughs> When's that sun gonna set? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny too. Um, Get from like a filmmaking perspective whoever was the costume designer must have had so much fun with this film because you know you get to play out it's the same guy but playing different people and you get to play out all these different scenarios and mess around with the looks and things like that not to detract for too long but just uh the subtlety of just changing a few things about the outfits tells you this entire story and uh, each wish feels uniquely different in this film so edge to the remake well Man, they're both they're both good scenes though. They're both good scenes. This may be the one time where I would say, um, you know, we do have these quotable moments from the remake, but I think I think it's so funny in the original film. Like you said, when they get out of the car and get back into the car, there's some funny beats there. This one is the closest thing to like a push, maybe leaning towards the original, but um, it, it's close because that sunset line is so funny. Uh, no, I hear what you're saying. Um, it is pretty close to a push, but I, I have to go with the remake again. That sunset, <laughs> every time that sunset, I just, yeah. I was, I was laughing so hard watching that scene. Just him as this ginger with his braces too. Yeah. I mean, come on, he, 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 he committed, and I got to give props to Brandon Fraser again, man. He is having so much fun, and it's so much fun to watch him as all these bizarre characters, and 
Props maybe, to the remake. Maybe by the end of this, you'll be as big a Brendan Fraser fan as I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see how the other wishes pan out. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, good wish. Yeah, just to make some tension in the podcast, I- I'm going with the original, but uh, it- it's pretty damn close. It's pretty damn close. That's so funny. All right, those are the, all the wishes that are pretty much the same or have something in common. After that, they start to deviate. So sure. maybe we should get into a wish in the original that wasn't at all in the remake, like accidentally turning into a fly on the wall. If I had to make a parallel... I think we'll we'll talk about it from here, but uh, there's one wish that I guess is kind of the equivalent, but not. I mean, it's not even that close. It's it's not. It's the president scene because like <laughs> it's kind of like in, both are sort of accidents. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the fly thing is like so clearly not what he wanted. <laughs> it was weird the way they shot it too. Like I guess they had to almost make it like a cartoon. Yeah. With the flies, I wasn't a huge fan of that scene. I just I felt like it was a little long and there wasn't a great payoff because um you know there's there's already sort of accidental wishes that are going on and for him to be like a fly in the room this is related to um, I'm glad we talked about that because this is related to that detective mm-hmm. because yeah. he wants to be a fly so he can see if the detective is you know making a move on um, Margaret it's flat for me man it's it's a flat scene you know he's he's a fly. They spray him with like bug spray, and you know he's struggling to uh, to do the raspberries because he has a fly mouth. It it you know it's it's a wish, but it just feels like such a throwaway for me. You know, I don't know I, about you. I don't know. I actually enjoyed it because hmm. you just there's just so many wishes you can do before it just the formula just starts getting old. So sure. I thought I I appreciated them changing it up, making him a fly on the wall, and I thought it was interesting how they did it. Like you said, it was an they drew it. It was animated. And yeah. then when he actually flew, it was the point of view from the fly. So it's this really cheap. That is cool. It was really cheap and cheesy, but I like that stuff. So yeah. I, I really appreciated that. And I yeah, I needed something different because after a while, it's just like, oh, how is this wish going to go bad? And just to make a bad wish. I yeah. thought that was, I appreciated that. And it was, I welcomed it. So yeah, yeah. I liked it enough. No, I, I hear you. You know, I think, um, for me, um, I think most of the fun that I had with the film was sort of like between the margins, like the wishes or whatever, like some of his sequences, um, when he's hanging out with the devil, when uh, they're at the club and he's meeting like the, um, I don't want to get too deep in this because I'm sure we'll talk about it, but when he's meeting sort of the seven deadly sins, mm-hmm. that's where a lot of the fun in the original comes for me. I sort of like the like subtle, like, almost pointless British humor that's happening throughout the film. The wishes, yeah, there's some there's some funny moments that we, we talked about a little bit. This one, I, I agree that what it took to film it was interesting. I just wasn't that interested in, in the wish itself. Um, it was one of my least favorites, but I, I totally get what you're saying, where at least something different happened here. It was It was probably the most unique wish in the entire film. Just not my favorite, personally. <laughs> that was your least favorite. And I guess that would lead to my least favorite wish in the remake, which is which was the Abe Lincoln wish. Yeah. That was my least favorite wish. It I just, don't know. It just it didn't work for me. I, it was It's kind of a one-note joke. I became yeah. Abe Lincoln. Oh, I'm going to get shot, so i got to get out of here right away. Yeah. So once you figured out the joke, it's just like, well, okay, when's he going to get out? And it just ran a little long. Again, it's just like, how many of these wishes can you do? They were so clever. You know, right. the first few, it does start to just drag on. It's kind of the same thing over and over again. 
So yeah, I get it, but it wasn't at that nah, point. It, you're just really tired and <laughs> you kind of want to just get on with yeah, it. Yeah. It's like, okay, I want to be president. And, um, it's, it's kind of like Brendan Fraser's most selfish wish to an extent, <laughs> you know? Um, and it, it, there's some comedy that plays into it where Elizabeth Hurley like makes a joke that, Oh, that's so selfless. You know, like you want to be president <laughs> so he can help people. We all know that ultimately he wants to just, hook, you know, hook up with um, Allison. But you're right. Once you, it's like, okay, I want to be president. Uh oh, I'm Abe Lincoln. Whoops. Like, <laughs> got it. And then you just have to watch the sequence play out. It was actually probably the exact wrong time for him to be like struggling to find his, uh, his way out of the wish. So I guess they are kind of the parallels where the fly <laughs> was an accident and he couldn't do the raspberries because he was a fly um, and he eventually figured it out. In this case, he was Abe Lincoln by accident and um, he couldn't figure out where his pager was because of his old timey uh, outfit. Yeah, yeah, two of just the weakest sequences in both film. Well, excuse me, I'll go back for me. Week in the first film, I think the way they filmed it was interesting, but I wasn't that interested in the wish. Uh, similar for you here with the president, like it, it is a one note joke. It's like, well, how long do we have to watch this when we ultimately know he's not gonna? He, like, we know he's not dying here because this is mm-hmm. not the end of his wishes. So yeah. it's kind of pointless. And the remake had been so clever up to that point too. Like, you're trying to yeah. figure out. Like, okay, where's the twist? Where's the twist? And, like, that one you immediately knew. So, yeah, yeah. At, at that point, it was just like, okay, so how long is this one going to go on for? Yeah. So, it, yeah. It almost, it almost feels like, um, sequencing-wise, it probably should have been an early wish. Um, just because, you know, I think that joke fits more if you don't quite understand the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that was kind of like wish one where he's like, I'm the president. Um... But, oh, there's a twist. Like, I think that joke works better early, whereas, like, this is fairly late in the film. And, like, we've seen him completely transform already um, multiple times. And it's just like, all right, well, he's Abe Lincoln, which I also thought it wasn't. I guess the first person would have been sort of like Pablo Escobar, maybe. But it's ambiguous enough that Mm -hmm. once it became a real historical figure, it was like, well, I know how this is going to end. Yeah, it pulls you out of it. But I guess we were saying those were different, but apparently being a fly and Abraham Lincoln were uh, <laughs> parallels. If you look at ultimately how um, both of them were struggling to get out of this accidental wish. Yeah, so I guess I'll take the that in that case, I'll take the original because like you said, they did change it a little bit. He couldn't get out of the wish right away because he couldn't do the raspberries with his lips. Right. And, you know, it was just like I said, it was different enough where it piqued my interest. It was like, ooh, that didn't. This didn't happen in the remake, so yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's see where this goes. I can see that because it, it was um I wasn't big on it, but it, it is a very unique sequence. So I I am definitely going with that. It was way more interesting than him being Abe Lincoln, mm-hmm. my opinion. So yeah, I'll give I'll give that wish if they are the equivalent. I think they are based on the fact they were struggling to get out of the wish. I guess they were the parallels there. Um, I'm giving the nod to the original on that. And then we have the final wish. Or should we discuss the stolen wish, I guess we could call it. The you already did a wish. Your first wish. The first first wish, maybe. 
Yeah, I think before because the endings are, are so different, I guess we should mm-hmm. kind of go back to um, the realization that these characters have already made a wish. At the be- beginning of the original, when George Spigot introduces himself as the devil, excuse me, Stanley Moon doesn't believe him. And he's like, well, if you don't believe me, make a wish. And he asks Whoa, whoa, whoa. It. First, he shows him a business card. <laughs> True. <laughs> and that was it. Well, that proves it. <laughs> There it is that that British that British humor is so dry, but yeah, he he does give him a business card, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Stanley wishes for a Frobisher ice cream or Frobisher ice lolly, and they get on the bus. They go down to the local store. They get an ice lolly, and the devil doesn't have the money for it, so Stanley ends up paying for it, and it melts anyway because that didn't convince Stanley that that was the devil, so they had to like. Do a miracle. He like flew somewhere yeah, and like it the... teleported really quickly. Or... It kind of funny. It's like okay, you got this this ice cream cone, and now you've teleported and it's gone. So complete waste of a first wish. You get a very similar sequence. I guess before he gets his first quote unquote fake wish, Brent Fraser inserts himself into an outing with some of his coworkers that are being played throughout the film, and he's talking to Allison. And it's really awkward, like super awkward. Like a lot of Brandon Fraser's conversations in this movie, he's talking about, you know, we've worked together for a long time. She's never noticed him. It's a weird sequence. He and remembers then, like the last time they had a conversation, like the date like, and like exactly what the conversation was. And she's like, like what? And like, yeah, it's yeah. just these super awkward things you shouldn't say to people. And then he looks over and there's like Elizabeth Hurley playing uh pool and she's like smoking hot dude like it's, it's a pretty cool sequence and you know it makes you wonder at that point like why he's even still thinking about um allison at that point mm-hmm. i agree <laughs> i thought that they would have sort of played into that where like the co-worker saw that you know maybe that would have put him over you know quote unquote with them yo we saw you leave with that hot chick what's her deal and like that didn't really happen which was um strange to me he meets the devil doing trick pool shots uh, at the bar, and then when she says that she's the devil, he doesn't believe her, and they go to uh, McDonald's so he can get a was well, it was a Big Mac with a Coke, large Coke or something. Yeah, do you want and, uh, fries with that? No, <laughs> no fries. <laughs> Brendan Fraser's Elliot ends up paying for the the burger, and he doesn't even get fries. <laughs> you know, it, it's a funny it's a funny sequence. I, I thought that the intro to the devil was a lot more spectacular in the remake she's on the pool table she's like clearly like in a league of her own she's doing trick shots she's like got this sort of cool edge to her it's kind of funny that this loser you know at first he's like in awe of her but like he kind of gets comfortable with her pretty quickly for a guy that doesn't talk to women to be you know talking to elizabeth hurley he's doing pretty well with it i almost feel like it's a missed opportunity that he didn't try to like hook up with her but then that might be like that would be too much because like if he's trying to hook up with this allison like how genuine is he if he's just already hitting on the devil so yeah maybe it's better they didn't do that i i think that the the choices that they made worked that he really didn't go after but it's almost like dude (laughs) (laughs) like you got seven wishes and for some reason they're still completely focused on this woman that you have like no real connection with that you don't even well, know obviously clearly elizabeth hurley is like this is the most human interaction 
he's had in years, and he's just like, oh yeah, I'm friends with the devil. It's like I don't know, there seems to be like something, some disconnect there. But it also does fit Brendan Fraser's character because he is more or less kind of a dummy. <laughs> Sorry for the rant, but uh, you know, both of them <laughs> wished for food items that they ended up paying for themselves, and that was the first wish of the seven, which was a nice little twist and reveal in both films that like yeah you were to use one of your wishes and they couldn't believe that that counted as a wish They're, it's pretty much the same thing almost like beat for beat, beat when it comes beat, to yeah. the wish so I, I don't think the remake really did anything added anything new it you know it, was, it played fine but yeah. you know they didn't I, really do anything new with it I think the um the nod for me is going to go to the original one because I just how dry and deadpan it is going up to it and there's that added element of the lollipop excuse me the lollipop the uh the ice cream cone or whatever it is melting as a like travel through space and time that one little addition that extra joke that they just eked out i thought was pretty funny um i'm not even really sure how the burger resolved it wasn't that interesting whatever it happened but um you're right it's b for b basically the same thing one modernized with McDonald's. I'm giving the edge to the original film because there's a little bit of extra magic or whatever it is that you see afterwards. Um, so, yeah. slight edge. I understand. Yeah, I'd give it to the original too, just because the remake didn't add anything. All they did yeah. was change, like you said, they just changed it to McDonald's. They just uh, did a little advertising for you. <laughs> That's all yeah. they did in the remake. So, yeah, I, I would just give it to the original there. Easy. Yeah. Um, so that'll lead us to the final wish of each of our characters. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, which are very different from each other. This is where the movies really are different. Veer wildly in um, completely different directions. Well, I mean, not in different directions. They're just, they're seemingly unrelated. Yeah. So Stanley has a very specific wish to be in this loving relationship with Margaret, just sort of the two of them, they're in love and um, there's no other men or anything. It's, it's oddly specific just to be in love, right? Just the two of them kind of alone, kind of isolated sort of, right? Something like that. Pretty much. They're like, there's not these, these other factors that could potentially spoil the love. Like, yeah, he, he, he really dives in and tries to be as specific as possible here. Um, he did which, say, he did say he's speci- I want to be white. I was like, oh, yeah, that's I, don't know, I don't know if that ages well. <laughs> oh, let me, let, me, uh, let me pull up my original note on that. Because the line is super specific. Young, white, and in good health. <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah yeah it's just like I, I wrote that down because like you said when i heard that line i was like that's strange <laughs> yeah yeah that's um, strange i mean he likes who he is that's okay i guess <laughs> he didn't say that being another <laughs> color would be bad yeah <laughs> i it, it's a weird it's a weird line because it sort of takes you out of um the fun, like you said, I guess they're not really messing with like another like culture or race or anything, but just eh, why, you know? 
it didn't really fit with anything else. Like, I guess it's it's a funny line. Like I said, it doesn't really age well, but um, the the joke that they get out of it, I don't think it's worth even going down that that pathway. But you know, it was strange, and you know, we both made note of it. But I don't think it was um the funniest line. It was a little strange, actually. Yeah. Anyway, out of this joke, um, yeah, they they're in love, but they're nuns, and yeah. he's a woman, right? Sister Luna. Yes. <laughs> Being Stanley Moon, uh, Sister Luna. This is by far the weirdest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the weirdest scene between both films. And it, I, I don't know, like the, the nunnery that they're at or the, the convent or whatever it's supposed to be called. With the main, um, I guess, saint or nun that they're... That it's all based off of like the backstory is super crazy. I don't know if you have specific notes on it, but like the the sister that flew to heaven or something like that. It, it, oh, okay. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have that many notes on this. Uh, I, I mean, for the audience, there there's basically this backstory that their 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 convent is based off of. Um, I don't remember her name, but it's like a sister who like ascended to heaven essentially and uh people saw her flying to heaven basically and there's all these goofy moments that are like alluding to it and they're jumping on trampolines and they're singing weird songs like goofy songs it just it was so out of place like it felt like it was going in like monty python territory and i just didn't really get how we got there yeah it got it got really silly. Um, I guess they were just trying to, you know, change what you thought the nuns did. Now nuns are on trampolines, so they're not just praying all the time. They do these weird things. And it definitely has a different tone from the previous, uh, the, the whole movie. There's nothing like it. There's nothing <laughs> like it. And it just, it definitely is just one of those head scratches. Like, what's happening? Because not only is this a weird wish, but like the whole time Stanley is trying to do his mouth fart thing and it's nothing's happening. He's not, he's he's stuck there. They don't explain it either. No, they don't explain it. So the whole, but it is kind of funny. I appreciated that because he, you do see him kind of going through his day as a nun and the whole time, like out of nowhere, he just keeps going and everybody looks at him like, what? He's like, what? 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 (laughs) Nothing, nothing, nothing to see here. So Deadly Moore has a funny beat there, but every time he did that, I I was laughing, but it's, it is in a bizarre, this this weird nun world that you're not really prepared for. Yeah. It's just, um, it's, it's pretty funny at first because, uh, They've taken on an oath of silence. A lot of the um, dialogue is actually like inner dialogue, but um, which was confusing Mar- to me because he Margaret's there. They're both nuns, and they're able to communicate through sort of telekinesis. Yeah, they, they were they were having conversations, and I was like, "What?" So again, it's the, the whole movie is like sort of playing uh, based in reality this whole time. Mm-hmm. And then you you take into this weird convent where all the rules are kind of flipped around, and now these people are communicating with their minds. It was it was bizarre. <laughs> it's it was strange, and um, you know Stanley is afraid of heights, so the trampoline scene, which is kind of funny because everyone else is like jumping as high as they can to show 
their faith, and he's just kind of like like struggling on this trampoline. But there's like a weird song about like jumping for sister, whatever. It, it's just such a again odd sequence that it, it took me out of the film a little bit because yes, there were strange things happening throughout the film, like the seven deadly sins. Um, the Raquel Welch scene was, you know, it was odd and stuff like that. And there were weird moments throughout the film for sure, but nothing that was just, just like overtly silly. Mm-hmm. And it, it went on for some time as well. And I, I just didn't get how it fit into the big picture. Yeah, the humor had been pretty clever up till that point. And then, yeah. like you said, it just became silly. It was just mm-hmm. like almost like they just said, hey, kids, what would be funny at a convent? That What do you think would be funny to see nuns do? It, yeah, just, like it nuns... wasn't as clever anymore all of a sudden. If, if I recall, his raspberries aren't working. Doesn't he end up going to like the club mm-hmm. where the devil was? Yeah. Yeah, he, he and he's still a woman, too. Yeah, yeah. So it's so it's really weird this wish. He's trying to go into the club and like he like punches out the bouncer and like someone sees him and it's a whole thing cuz like there's a nun like punching a guy like the whole sequence is very very strange to say to say the least. But um yeah. Well, there's <laughs> definitely no wish like that in the remake. Not um, close. No. The final wish in the remake of course is um, I guess I'll set it up because the devil really wants Elliot to make this final wish. He wants that soul. Um, Elliot's like, no, I'm done. This, I'm not, These wishes suck. They never go the yep. way I want. I don't like this. I'm done. I'm just not going to do it. She's like, you have to do it. It's in the contract. You sign that contract. You better do this wish. Like I said, right. she like becomes threatening. She gets in a big bikini for some reason. Yeah. Not sure. And then at this moment... I think it could be a uh, Kel Welch uh, reference. It could be, yeah, it could be a little nod so. to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, and in that moment, that final moment when he has to make a wish, he just wishes for Allison to be happy. The devil sighs, and the contract is null and void because he made a selfless wish. Right, which uh, no one ever reads the contract. <laughs> so that was it. I guess that was an okay way to sort of get out of it. I, I think that um, from the perspective of like wrapping up a film and sort of sticking along the lines of what I think we're used to when it comes to like a story arc, um, I think that that sequence makes a little bit more sense for the viewer. Um, it It's still, again, when we talk about universe building, it's in line with uh, everything we've seen before. All these wishes weren't really selfless, and he's making a choice for someone else. So, okay, I could see that being the thing that gets you out of the contract. Whereas in the original film, the devil's just kind of like, eh, I'm good. Yeah. The devil... I'm going to show God that um, I've changed my ways or that I'm a good guy by giving Stanley his uh, his soul back. Was that even it? Or was it... Okay, because let's, let's talk a little bit about the motives of uh, the devil. In the original, the devil's really obsessed with god like devil's kind of upset that they used to be lucifer this god's favorite angel and now they have to be the devil so right the whole movie the devil keeps talking to stanley saying i'm in this competition with god seeing who can get the most souls i forgot the specific number it might have been a billion souls or something something like that something like that whoever can get this many souls first wins and uh pretty much 
Stanley happens to run in the devil when he's pretty close to beating God. And ultimately, mm-hmm. the devil does win. And he's so happy and elated. And he's got all his souls. And now he can go back. Because he doesn't want to be the devil anymore. He wants to be God's favorite angel again. And he thinks right. by getting all these souls, um, he can win God's favor again. So he's so happy about it. He's like, I'm going to let you go, Stanley. I, I got plenty of souls. So Stanley's like, all right, fine, great. Here's your contract. Just burn it up and uh, be on your way. I'm going to go back, live with God. Mm-hmm. And uh, But a <laughs> little, little twist on the devil because now he doesn't get to live with God because he gave Stanley his soul back for the wrong reasons. So the devil's like, oh, no, what do I got to do? We'll give it to him for the right reasons. So since now the devil wants to get Stanley's soul back and give it back to him, but it's too late at that point. And right. the devil gets his comeuppance. You get this uh, this voiceover god <laughs> that just sort of uh, he's an imposing figure that you can't see, and he just kind of ends up just laughing at the devil. Like, I mean, that's it. Like, he just <laughs> laughs at him because you know he he uh, he he thought he got one over on God, but it turns out that he didn't really understand the mechanics. So <laughs> it. it it is a funny sequence to have the devil trying to get Stanley's soul back when you really think about the context of how unimportant Stanley Moon is in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. He's sort of picked because he's nobody. And it's just funny to see the devil staking his entire sort of like future on this one guy who's basically just going to go back to his life as a, uh, as a short order cook. Fun, fun enough sequence. Um, like I said, when when you're coming out of that nun scene, it, I don't think they necessarily wrapped it up clean, mm-hmm. but you know, it it was a ride. We took we took the ride. Um, I, I've got I got to lean towards um, the remake because they at least introduce a concept that adequately gets us out of the wish cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of the devil just being like, yeah, you know, all this was kind of for fun. Here's your soul bag. I got other matters to attend to. It kind of um, cheapens the experience that you've gone through throughout because it didn't really matter whether or not he took Stanley's soul in the end of the day. It was kind of like if it fit the character because it was so arbitrary. But um, it, you know, when you're talking about a film, you de- usually want stakes, so it's a little arbitrary for him to just give the soul back. Yeah. And I think you kind of touched on this earlier. It gives a... In the remake, then Elliot has more of a character arc, right? He's making all these yes. selfish wishes. And he finally right. learns, like, oh, it doesn't... As not working, so I'll do a selfless, selfless wish. And uh, mm-hmm. Stanley doesn't really have that moment. He's selfish all the way to the end. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of it. Because the devil also mentions nobody has ever done this before. Like billions of souls and he's Elliot this Elliot guy really is the first one so that that irked me a little bit but um I guess it made more sense than the original the original just seemed kind of like oh I've got plenty of souls you can have yours back it's like what (laughs) just just that like that I don't know it seemed too easy in the original um at least there was a little bit more thought in the remake you know he had to be a little more clever again outsmart the devil I guess and uh, Stanley never had a moment like that. Or at least Elliot right. kind of does. So as yeah. much as I think it's a little weak, but it's it's stronger than the original. 
I, I think so. It it is weak. It's kind of cliche, you know, but it it is an arc, you know. Yeah. So you have you have to give the nod there. I personally, in both movies, like I guess the god characters in both films, I, I could take it or leave it. I, I think in the remake, it's just I don't know. Like maybe they have some like overarching message that like you know a higher power like God can be in places you're not expecting it. So like for um, Elliot to have met God or whatever that, uh, that one character was to have met him in prison when things are going so bad and he's at this low point for himself and he meets this, uh, this uh, African American gentleman with, uh, with braids. And it's like, (laughs) he, you know, he's seemingly this benevolent guy who, you know, he has that moment like, who are you? He's like, I'm just a friend. You know, it, I think it's trying to make a statement that I don't think the movie needs to make. Yeah. So I, I was a little thrown off by it. And it also isn't well explained. Like, I guess they're implying that that character is God that um, Brendan Fraser meets in prison after, you know, he kind of loses it. I don't know. I guess it's better than just a, a faceless <laughs> Uh, voice, both of them. I, I don't know. I could, I could take it or leave it. No, I hear what you're saying. I guess I did have a little issue with the remake because he does go on to say like, uh, "I gave my soul to the devil." Well, that's your first mistake. Soul's not yours to give. So that confused me because I was like, "So would he not lose his soul uh, if right. he went through all these seven wishes?" Um, sort of gave me some more questions that i didn't realize i I had to have answered so it was just confusing to have that guy there he didn't really i don't know i don't know what he did really to uh, yeah to add to the story or anything was he the reason that brendan frazier made that selfless wish at the end i don't know i guess you're supposed to think that but he never really implies like like what it doesn't feel like it no it doesn't because what he was talking about wasn't about being selfless. It was just kind of soul and ownership of it and just right. careful about the devil. I don't know. It wasn't about being a better person, no. per se. No. So, I don't know. It did seem a little unnecessary. Um, and you, I feel like you could pretty much have the movie without him. You could. I, I don't think you need him no. at all. But I think God's more important in the original because that's that's the devil's motivation. So even though he is just a voice, which reminded me of uh, Bill and Ted's uh, Bogus Journey, where God's just yeah. a voice, <laughs> which I like. <laughs> so uh, I'll give God, the original the original God, uh, a little bit of an edge there. I think so, too, just because he actually, it's implied, not even implied, like he goes to heaven, he, St. Peter's there, and he's like, get out of my way, I got business <laughs> to It's It's a fun sequence. The sort of goofy laughter at the end, I wasn't a huge fan of from uh, the God character, but like it made sense. Like the devil in the original film has business to attend to with God, whereas Elizabeth Hurley doesn't have anything that she needs to do with God at all. I guess other than play chess, like we're watching, like (laughs) (laughs) at the end of the movie. Yeah, and then it also makes sense too because like. God kind of plays the devil the way the devil's been playing Stanley the whole time. It It's sort of, yeah, like I said before, he gets his comeuppance. Like, this whole time you've been tricking people, well, here's a little twist for you, sir. So, 
he, yeah. he's more he's definitely more necessary in the original than he is in the remake. Yeah. Yeah, it, it just it just feels thrown in there. He doesn't do much like other than that one sequence where he's talking to him and he's like you can't give away your soul and then they have this like seventh seal moment where they're playing chess with each other. It, it, and then you know there's this knowing like smirk that both of them give. Hey, you go, Elliot. <laughs> Kind of just kind of fucking goofy. Man. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of cheesy and definitely unnecessary. What do you think about um, like the true the true endings after that too? Because uh, right, right, yeah, let's go there. I, I'm just I'm just thinking about um the original where Margaret kind of like nothing happens really. Yeah, well, he finally after all the wishes are done, Stanley just finally has the courage and asks out Margaret, and she just says. Um, no, I'm kind of busy right now. <laughs> so yeah. it doesn't go anywhere, which I kind of like, because it's like, well, I went through all this thing, so surely if I ask her now, out now, um, she'll say yes. That's the, that's kind of the cliche. That's like the right. obvious way to go. So to her just to say no, but at least you have Stanley just finally manning up and just, you know, yeah. I don't need these wishes. I'm just going to do it myself. So I I understood that. And yeah, you yeah. don't need the cliche ending of oh yeah, they, that's all they needed to do the whole time, right? And you know, it's kind of cool because like the, it's like the the door is not completely like shut on him. Yeah, you no, know, there's there's still maybe this maybe later element to it. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems that the character is now just enough where like he'll be able to accept whatever fate it is. But um, I agree with you that I think it's better that just because he went on this entire journey independent let's call it what it is independent of the, the love interest his, his learning about himself doesn't change his situation and i think that it's it's cool that he now has the tools to maybe have a relationship with her or someone else potentially mm-hmm. um i do like that they don't just say hey we're hooking up now i think you're right the the movie is served better to end with that i, I think that that's just better for the film in general yeah, and then we have the remake, which kind of follows it at first, you know. Elliot finally just has the courage and goes up to Allison and asks her out. But she's not busy, but she does have a boyfriend. Which is right. weird, because stalker Elliot earlier said that she had broken up with her boyfriend. I guess he hadn't gone through her mail lately or something. I don't know. Right, right. <laughs> but she's in a relationship, and she can't date him. And he's he seems okay with it. Yep. But then... <laughs> He realizes he has a new neighbor. Right. And she looks exactly like Allison. Yeah. And then they start to date. It's just... That's a a bad ending. It's a cop-out. It's a huge cop-out. It's a bad ending because it... it, One, it's a cop-out, but when you really dive down into it, like... It shows that he really, truly hasn't learned anything mm-hmm. because Allison, again, like we said with the two main um, love interests, I feel if the movies maybe had dove into them and gave them more character, we would be okay with this. But she's always been an empty vessel. Mm-hmm. We've traded her out for different looking Allisons throughout the film. So he didn't get to hook up with Allison from work. But now there's just another quote unquote Allison. And, it, and what does it tell us about, you know, um, 
you know, women in this universe, or at least in Brendan Fraser's orbit, they're interchangeable. It was never about Allison to begin with. No. So it's like stake your entire like soul on this woman that you are willing to trade out at moment's notice. I think um, I get what the movie was trying to do. It was trying to have this like Hollywood. Oh, I guess it all worked out. But I think in the context of what we saw, this is, this is not a good ending. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. It's Elliot comes across so shallow. It's, uh, it's bad. Like, yeah, like you said, uh, this whole movie he's he, he was giving gonna give up his soul for this one woman, right? This one woman that the, supposedly the the one woman the love, the love of his life or something. Um, but no, he wasn't in love with her. He was just in love, I guess, with the idea of her. And as long as he right. can find someone that kind of looks like her, um, he can be happy that way. And now, watching it now, watching it the first time, that always is just like, oh man, I don't, I don't like this ending at all. It was just terrible. Yeah, I mean, you know, the first time I saw it, I, I don't even think I even really like paid attention to that. It was just kind of like, because the ending, even without getting into like the deeper meaning, the ending is like whatever. Um, got your soul back. Hey, you met another girl. Like, it's fine, Hollywood shit. But like when you really sort of break down what we're supposed to be doing as um as an audience and the lesson that I believe the main character is supposed to be learning, it's clear that he learned nothing. Nothing at all. So Yeah, it's almost like another wish almost. Like I wish Allison was my neighbor. It's it's kind of what he could have just done and that would have kind yeah. of been the ending. Yeah. He didn't wanna learn who she was as a person or even be willing to wait in case this relationship is over. Like this is supposed right. to be the one you were going to sell your soul for. And you're able to settle for somebody that kind of looks like her. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you, you look like her. So that makes you her like that. That's bad, man. No, it's, I definitely like Stanley asking her out Margaret and then just getting a no and just being okay with it. Yeah. Okay. I did it. And yeah. I can wait if she's not busy, then I'll be, I'll be ready for her. But right. I don't understand why they had to, change the ending because the the first yeah. ending was fine yeah it, it was it, it is fine and um you know they were there with this new film as well and it's like maybe there's a, a sequence there where you know maybe he's kind of like struts off confidently it's like with this knowing that you know what yeah you know if if it doesn't work out mm -hmm. come see me and like you could literally just have him walk off there smile towards the camera and like roll the credits yeah but to have this this in the last like minute of the movie introduce another character that looks like her and then say good enough like that <laughs> it, it just um the message that they're giving about um i guess you have to say it, about women um it's not it's not a good one <laughs> no it is not <laughs> because it not that one okay there's someone that looks just like her same thing it's like it truly shows that he never knew anything about allison no. nor did he care clearly it, in defense of the remake it could be a studio note they could have been like it it might have had the original ending where he was just like all right i'm fine with her not wanting to be with me and maybe the studio was like whoa 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 we want him to have a happy ending think yeah. of something because it definitely you could just end the movie with her just saying no yeah. and him just walking and just kind of smiling to himself like, all right, I did it. Yeah. But and then this last scene 
It just, oh man, you do not need that in the movie at all. Like I said, maybe um, maybe they did some test runs and yeah. audiences weren't satisfied with how it ended. I don't know how this would leave them satisfied though. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. I guess uh, boy meets girl, guy gets girl, but it's a different girl. Like it's it's no, I don't know. Not not a great choice. It's you know, but you have to end it somehow. If that's yeah. the worst part of the movie, then it's not that bad, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Let's actually talk about uh, Raquel Welsh, because we had we had mentioned her a couple of times. Why do we keep mentioning Raquel Welsh? Well, because in the original movie, we actually have some characters that are not in the remake. We have the Seven Deadly Sins. And Raquel Welsh plays, of course, Lust. Yes. Yes. Raquel Welsh is one of your sort of like original bombshell actresses. Like, she... Um, very famous for um, just being, um, what do say? She was very famous for being sexy. Yeah, that was that was kind of her thing. There's an interesting sequence in um, the original Bedazzle where Stanley meets Lust and he's in bed and she shows up and is tempting him and he's re- he's realizing that the physical side of the relationship with what's her name Margaret, like I think it kind of leads him to want to get more like intimate with her mm-hmm. it, but throughout the film like you said anger is the bouncer at the club sloth is a lawyer who has to sign for stanley so there's a bunch of different interactions with the seven deadly sins portrayed by different actors throughout the film which you don't you don't get that at all in in the remake you get the uh, club both films though you do get the club and that's where he meets these seven deadly sins so what did you think about that that we have seven deadly sins and what did you think about their omission in the remake uh, i think for the remake it's, they didn't need it yeah i agree i don't think they you needed know, it at all the original film it's a it's a touch i mean it's it's not necessary it's not it doesn't take away from the film the raquel welch scene is kind of just like shoehorned in there <laughs> yeah it's not really necessary but hey i'm glad that uh they <laughs> it, it was just like you could tell it was like one one of those guys or maybe both those guys was like hey we can get raquel welch <laughs> to our movie it's like yeah definitely bro like, let's do it like that's how it feels it doesn't really add to the story um by any stretch yeah it, it barely motivates Stanley a little bit in one of his wishes, the lust one. Um, mm-hmm. And Raquel Welsh is very memorable in her scene. Yes. Uh, she's in the movie, I think, for somewhere between 7 and 11 minutes. But she <laughs> obviously looks good in that bikini, so they're going to put her on that movie poster. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, you definitely didn't need her, or you didn't need them in the remake. I mean... Lust is the most memorable of the Seven right. Deadly Sins for me. And you already have Liz Hurley just looking really good in all those different outfits. So you didn't need another nah, female I think, um, in the movie. To do I think that. that may have even been part of the casting choice. I think that yeah. even, even though she's barely in the original film, Raquel Welch is heavily featured in um, the sort of advertising for it, the marketing for it. The movie's literally bedazzled featuring Raquel Welch. <laughs> Elizabeth Hurley was essentially the Raquel Welch of our day, like of our time. She was this bombshell actress. So I I think it was actually kind of smart and cool to blend that character in, in that way. And I think it's one of the strong points of the remake that they were able to sort of make that homage while also 
blending it in with the devil character. Smart stuff. Because it's both an allusion to the first film and something that makes this remake completely unique. Like you said, they used Raquel Welsh in a lot of the advertising for the film. Like, even when I saw pictures of the original, I thought Raquel Welsh was going to be the devil, just because I had not never seen the original. So, it was, yeah, it was smart for the remake to just be like, well, let's just make the hot one the devil. <laughs> that way, people yeah. won't feel gypped. Because I'm, I'm sure there was people that were like, whoa, let's see Raquel Welsh in here. And then, and then she was in there for less than 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I think the way the remake um, handles the storyline... Story I think that it would have created confusion mm-hmm. to um, add like another hot person, you know. Had had like the devil had been like, let's just say some guy, and there was a scene with like Elizabeth Hurley, I think it would have really hurt the film. I don't think that they would have been able to justify having like just one random scene with another woman that just happens to be attractive, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, even you know in the original film it's an aside i mean it, it mm-hmm. doesn't truly further the plot it's a big deal for that that time frame that that woman's in the the movie but uh it, it doesn't really help the plot in any real meaningful way so a good omission and actually a nice blending that we see in the remake i think great great casting choice yeah cuz you already in the remake you already have Allison who's a love interest you have Liz Hurley it's like mm-hmm. to add a third sort of potential be, love interest, it would just be too much. It's so it's good much. to consolidate, just combine lust and the devil. And they did a great in the remake. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool that there are characters that portray the seven deadly sins, but they do so little throughout mm-hmm. the film that it's yeah. again, it's an aside. Like, do we need a lawyer to play sloth to like slowly sign a contract? Do we need like this temptation scene with lust? Not at all. It's a good omission. It's fine that it was in the first film because the first film is its own unique thing and I think kind of a sign of that time. But uh, the remake does a lot of smart streamlining throughout that uh, gives it a a nice little modern edge to it. I think it would have been interesting if each of the seven deadly sins influenced a wish. Then it would have been a little more necessary to have them. But since they're mostly background characters and I think really only lust influences his wish right. maybe envy at the end but I didn't, maybe maybe you're, but you're right because it would have been smart if like maybe there was a wish based on like anger like maybe anger yeah. kind of roughs him up in the club and he's like man i wish like i could be a tough guy so that yeah. wouldn't happen mm-hmm. like that type of stuff i think you're right that would have been um interesting and um would have given more weight to the wishes because the wishes at the end of the day are on both films mostly arbitrary there's no real rhyme or reason to them um they're kind of the normal things that people would wish for wealth rich and famous um athletic but there's not they're not really tied into like these these themes that you're talking about the big the big sins looking at my list i think we covered everything yeah the one one thing i will say that um this is this is not a big thing at all but um in the sensitive scene with the sunset uh (laughs) Did you catch the name of the dogs that uh, yes. Peter and um, Dudley? I thought that was a nice, nice touch. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, sure. I'm re- I'm also. I was also reading up on that scene you said was cut. Sounds crazy. I wish I was still in there. Which one? The, the Rockstar. Rock yeah, I, I remember watching the deleted scene years ago. Uh, I was gonna watch it for this, but I didn't. 
It's probably on YouTube. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. Cool. All right, so should we give our final verdict? Yeah. um... All right, Reggie, this is it. Verdict time. Should they have made this remake? Oh, I I think that they should have made this remake. It stands on its own. Enough allusions to the original film, but it's doing its own thing. Brendan Fraser, who obviously I'm clearly a fan of for some reason, um, gets to show off his his acting chops, and I think this is actually one of his stronger films, looking back uh, in that era. And Elizabeth Hurley is just, she plays it perfect. I mean, she does the humor really well, and she does the um, the Elizabeth Hurley thing, where she's like, she's she's hot, she's hot as fuck, bro. Like that's that's so true but at the same time like she still has the acting ability and holds her own against peter cook in my opinion you know which is um which is not a small statement to say so at the end of the day i think um i think the film should have been made i like both films i'm more partial to the remake maybe because of modern twist to it and I just remember watching it, you know, a couple times growing up. So it, it was a fun film, and I enjoyed it. What about you? Yeah, I think we said this before. When it comes to remakes of comedies, it, it's really not that difficult. You, you follow the storyline, but you have to update the jokes. And mm-hmm. it's exactly what this remake did. It definitely made it its own. You have, like you said, your boy Brandon Fraser. He definitely had fun during this movie. It really picks up when when that first wish. And once Brendan Fraser is that Colombian drug lord, he's having so much fun. You can't yeah. help but have fun. And then it keeps going with the next wish when he's the sensitive ginger. It's it's really fun just watching him have fun with all these different characters. And like you said, Liz Hurley, she's just a perfect casting as her. You know, she's very seductive. You know, it's it's kind of what you want in the devil. It's it's seductive, but you know there's something wrong that you shouldn't, but you want it. Right. You know. Right. Um, so it was great casting. You know, not nothing against the original. I, I thought Dudley Moore and Peter Cook were great too. Um, I just think, uh, you know, as an American, the humor just plays a little bit more to me in the remake, and it's just updated just from '60s humor, which, sure. you know, of course, comedy has, you know, grown Com- since then. Has, yeah, <laughs> has vastly evolved. Yes. Um, I, I will say that. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're not knocking the original. I think no. the original is a very strong film. It's funny. There A lot of the beats, because um, uh, I was watching with my fiance, and there were some moments that were like, you know, she was like, okay, what, what's this? But, like, we were laughing. You know, we were laughing or watching it. So I think it it holds up pretty well. But there is just some strange British humor in there that I, I don't think a lot of audience today are going to get. Definitely worth a watch. Because overall, it's a very funny film, but there's some head scratchers throughout it that maybe maybe that's just time, or maybe that's a cultural thing. But uh, Brian Fraser and uh, his his brand of comedy, <laughs> a little more partial to. <laughs> it's it's really great just concept. This idea of just getting wishes from the devil and then everything just not going the way you want. I I wouldn't be surprised if they made a remake of this in very soon. Because like. It's such a great concept, and you can have a lot of fun with it. It's easy to make it your own. Um, Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there was future remakes of this. I wouldn't be surprised, and I probably wouldn't wouldn't be upset, because I don't think there's anything that... When I'm watching two films, I wouldn't see anything as, like, sacrilege. Like, oh, you can't can't replace Brendan Fraser and Elizabeth Hurley. 
I'm sure you can, <laughs> you know, like, uh, they both did a great job. I thought the casting was excellent in, in, um, both films, but like, I, I wouldn't be upset if someone took another crack at it. Cause it is a fun story. Maybe interesting to see someone else's take on, uh, mm-hmm. the wishes. Yeah. Absolutely. Really what these movies shine. Yeah. It's both movies are really fun. So if you haven't seen either one, do yourself a favor, definitely go check them out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say that, um, this may be the most positive I can remember being feeling about both movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm right yeah. there with you. Yeah. They were, cause the remake didn't really deviate too far. You know, it, it followed the same formula and it just yeah. updated the jokes and the wishes and that's all you really needed, you know? Yeah. And you know, that's... having Liz Hurley as the devil does not hurt at all. Does not hurt. Oh my God. The scene where she's, uh, whoever's parents, these were super cool. The scene where she's uh, the teacher at the school. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. stuff of legends. Something about a spanking. Yes, of course. Yep. <laughs> Very good stuff. No homework. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that was another episode. Hell yeah. This is the part where you break out your list, right? All right. We got to figure out uh, what we're doing next. Let's take a look. See. 12 Angry Men, 101 Dalmatians. 310 to Yuma, Amityville Horror, Angels in the Outfield, Bad News Bears, maybe stay away from some humor, and do some, like, horror or something. You could do horror. How about Manchurian Candidate? I was going to say something like that, maybe like some sort of, like, mystery or thriller or something like that. Want to try Manchurian Candidate? Yeah. Is that the one with Frank Sinatra? I don't know. I know the remake had Liv Shriver in it. Ah, Shriver, Sabretooth. Yeah, Sabretooth. Yeah, you know what? Manchurian Candidate, it is. All right, cool. This is I've, I've never segment. really heard much about the remake, so we'll see if they should yeah. have remade it. Well, that's another one in the books, as they say. My name is Reggie Parker. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at RPComedy, or you can check out my website, RPComedy.com. And I'm Dan Bulick. You can find me on Twitter at Console Wars Guys or on YouTube, YouTube.com slash Console Wars, Retro Gaming Goodness. All right, and this has been another episode of Retro Retro versus versus remake. Remake.